This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Thank you guys. Open your Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. If you are new today, during the month of August... We have been walking through the 8th chapter of Romans, one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. And since Easter, we have been in a series called Life in the Spirit. And what we're doing in the series is we're looking at some of the primary texts in the New Testament that talk about the Holy Spirit. And so the chapter that talks about the Holy Spirit more than any other is Romans chapter 8. So in the month of August, we're walking verse by verse through the great eight, the eighth chapter of Romans. And so let's look this morning at verses 18 through 25. We're talking today about renewed creation, renewed people. You know, just this morning, I got word that Jesse Lamb, longtime member of our church who had battled Alzheimer's, for many years, went home to be with the Lord last night. And, and just a, a few days ago, a young woman who grew up in our church, Robin Blanchard, whose body had been ravaged with cancer, went home to be with the Lord. Why is it that things like that, tragic tragedies, sadness, why is it that that is tempered by hope? This text gives us the answer. Let's look at it together. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the promise of your word. Thank you for the promise that any sufferings, of this present time, and we pray for believers around the world who have been suffering terribly through the fires of persecution. Our team in Bangkok was with some of them in just the past couple of weeks. And even here, because of this fallen world and the fragile bodies that we have, we go through suffering in this fallen world. We, we, we suffer with, with others who suffer uh, as, as loved ones uh, are, deal with, with, with illness and 
and disease and as we deal with the, uh, the, our, our fallenness in so many ways, there is groaning in this life, in creation and even in your children. But Father, we see here the promise of your word that glory is coming. Glory that is so great that our suffering cannot even be compared to it because of its splendor. And so we pray that you would give us hope today in your word, in Jesus. We pray it in his name. Amen. The ancient Greeks used to tell a story about two philosophers. And one philosopher would walk out every morning and he would just burst into laughter. He would just laugh uproariously. The world was such a funny place, he couldn't help it. The second philosopher would walk out every morning and he would burst into tears. The world was such a tragic place that he couldn't help it. Laughter and tears. You know, we see plenty of those in the life of Jesus. When you read the Gospels, lots of laughter. Jesus went to parties and he went to dinners. He went to wedding celebrations, happy occasions. He told funny stories like the one about the guy who's looking for a speck in somebody else's eye when there's a beam protruding out of his own. He, told, he had funny nicknames for his closest friends. Uh, Peter, the closest translation we would have would be like Rocky. And James and John uh, would be the Thunder Boys. That was his inner core. He had funny nicknames for them. Jesus knew about laughter. He laughed often. And Jesus wept. The shortest verse in the Bible is just two words. Jesus wept. He, he wept when he heard about the death of a friend. He wept with others who were sad. Everywhere that Jesus went, he was meeting people who were in pain, who were in crisis, people for whom life had gone badly wrong. And he would weep for them and he would weep with them. Laughter and tears. And we see plenty of those in our text today. right? We see groaning, which is all about pain, but we also see glory. The difference is that for God's children, the groaning is not going to last. And the glory is going to be forever. So what do we see in this, this amazing passage of Scripture. First of all, we see the groaning and glory of creation itself. And the first thing that we see in regard to that is the frustration of creation. He says here in verse 20 that the creation was subjected to futility. Now what Paul is talking about is he's, he's referring to the opening chapters of the book of Genesis. So what happens? At the beginning of Genesis, God creates a world that is perfect. It's a world without suffering. It's a world without death. And God puts human beings over the rest of creation to be stewards over it. But what happens? The stewards mess up horribly. The stewards sin against the Creator. And the whole creation is plunged into dysfunction and even within nature itself 
there is, uh, there is dysfunction uh, that comes in at that point. The, the ground begins to produce uh, uh, thorns and, and, and thistles, and, and there's a certain frustration and futility that sets into life. There's death now. People were born, but they're eventually going to, to die. Fortunes are made, but they're lost at death, if not before. The writer of Ecclesiastes kind of sums this up when he says, you know, it's all meaningless. It's all vanity of vanities. It's just, it's, it's just, it's just all meaningless. There's a, there's a futility to this fallen creation. And in verse 21, Paul talks about its bondage to corruption. Another way that you could translate that word corruption would be decay. So in this fallen world, the, the pattern is what? I mean, there's, there's birth and then maybe the flower of childhood and youth, but then decay and decline and death and decomposition. And we seem to be enslaved to this. We seem to be just locked into this, this pattern. This, this, there's a bondage to corruption and decay in this fallen world. And we may try to, to put that off, but you know the, the mortality rate hovers at a very consistent 100%, doesn't it? We, we're, 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 we seem to be locked into this. So is, it, is that all there is? Is it all just meaningless? Is life, as Shakespeare has Macbeth say, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing? Well, the biblical answer to that is no. We see here not only the frustration of creation, but second, the liberation of creation. He says, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, and hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So Paul uses the term groaning to convey the pain of life in a fallen world. But it's a certain kind of pain. It's the pain of childbirth, which, as many of you ladies here would know far better than me, is a pain that is an intense pain, but it's a temporary pain. And not only is the pain of childbirth temporary, but it that pain is overwhelmed by joy when you hold that newborn baby in your arms. And the reason Paul uses this analogy is that as intense as, and as painful as life can be on this earth, God is birthing a new creation, a brand new creation. Now, this vision of, re of renewed creation, a new heaven and a new earth, is very central in the prophecies of the Old Testament, particularly in Psalms and Isaiah. I want us to look at a few of them 
this morning in Isaiah. So as a result of sin, uh, dysfunction, disharmony, even in nature, in the animal world, uh, was, was introduced. But listen, in God's, in God's new creation, which is going to come when Jesus comes again, what's it going to be like? Isaiah 11, 6 through 9 says this. It says, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Beautiful, isn't it? Again, he says in in Isaiah 35, The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The pain of people is going to be gone. Isaiah 25 and verses 6 and following. God says, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined, and He will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of His people. He will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for Him that He might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for Him. Let us be glad and rejoice in His salvation. And then in Isaiah 65, God says, Behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. This vision of a new heaven and a new earth is central also in not only the prophecies of the Old Testament, but the preaching of the New Testament. Peter Preaches in Acts 3, Repent therefore and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets long ago. Peter, uh, Paul says in Ephesians 1, That God is making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. This is God's plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him. Things in heaven and things on earth. This broken world is going to be fixed. What is broken and torn asunder is going to be united in Christ. Again, 
In Colossians 1, Paul says, For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to what? To reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And then Peter says again in 2 Peter 3.13, But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And this goes all the way to the end of the New Testament in Revelation 21 and 22, where, you, where God gives John this vision of the new heaven and the new earth. This is central in both the prophecies of the Old Testament and the preaching of the New Testament, unfortunately, it's not central in the thinking of a lot of Christians. You know, you could sum up the end times thinking of a lot of Christians this way. We die and we go to heaven. And as glorious and as wonderful as that is, that's not the fullness of the story, (laughs) Okay, the, the fullness of, store, of the story is not that we are going to spend eternity as disembodied souls. The fullness of the story is that Jesus is coming again and we're going to be raised with resurrection bodies. Glorified bodies and we are going to live in a new heaven and a new earth. Michael Horton says this, as wonderful as it is to rejoice in the hope of being with the Lord upon our death, how much greater still is our expectation of being raised bodily in a world that is full of the glory, peace, justice, and love of the triune God. This is the consummation of our hope. The second thing that we see in this text is the groaning and glory of God's children. So he says that the creation is groaning, but then what does he say in verse 23? He says, not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now, as Christians, we live between two worlds, don't we? We live between the times because we've been saved and we have the Holy Spirit in our lives. We have the first fruits of the Spirit uh, in our lives. Um, Our souls are redeemed, but yet we still have these unredeemed bodies, right, (laughs) that cause all kinds of problems, fragile bodies that are subject to disease and death and all that goes along with that. You know, fallen natures as well. We still struggle with sin. All that goes along with that. And so in this life, there's a certain amount of groaning. And, and groaning there doesn't mean whining. <laughs> it doesn't mean complaining. Um, and it doesn't mean the absence of joy. No. I mean, Philippians 4.4 4 says what? We, we, we have reason to rejoice in the Lord always. I mean, no matter what else is going on in our lives, we have Jesus. So we can rejoice in the Lord always, yet our joy in Christ is often accompanied by a degree of pain. And so Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6.10 that we are 
sorrowful yet always rejoicing. So Paul makes room in his thinking for both joy and pain sometimes to coexist in our lives at, at the same time. You know, just, just because of the fallenness of this world that we live in, there's going to be pain in our lives. There's going to be suffering in our lives. There's going to be a certain amount of groaning, first of all, because of these fragile bodies that we have that are subject to cancer cells and Alzheimer's and MS and car accidents and on and on and on it goes. And not only physical suffering, but, but the suffering of grief when we, we suffer for other people and the loss of loved ones. So there's groaning because of these fragile bodies, and there's also groaning because of our fallen natures. Even the holiest Christians still struggle with sin. I mean, read Romans 7. <laughs> this is the Apostle Paul. And yet he says in Romans 7, you know, sometimes I hate what I do. I find myself, you know, thinking and behaving in ways that I hate. And I don't want to be like this. But see, we're still dealing with these fallen natures. Okay, one day, our fragile bodies are going to be a thing of the past. And our fallen natures are going to be a thing of the past too. See, we're, that's all going to be gone Okay, that we are going to have, our bodies are going to be redeemed. He talks here at the end of verse 23, he talks about the redemption of our bodies. When's that going to happen? When Jesus returns and we are raised with, with new, glorified, resurrection bodies that are not subject to decay or disease, that are not so they, the fall, our fallen nature is going to be gone. Sin is going to be gone. And he will wipe every tear from our eyes. Now, until then, there's, there's, a, there's a mingling of joy and groaning. He puts all this together in 2 Corinthians 5 when he says, For while we're still in this tent, that's our present body, while we're still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives is like a guarantee of what is coming, the glory that is coming. He puts it, this way in verse 23. He says that the Spirit is like the first fruits. So, the first fruits of the harvest are like the first part of the harvest that comes in, and the first fruits are the guarantee that the rest of the harvest is coming. So, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives is like the, the guarantee, the promise, just like an engagement ring is the promise of the wedding that is coming. The presence of the Spirit in our lives is the promise of the glory that is coming for us because Jesus is coming. 
And when he does, then our, our bodies are going to be redeemed. Now, he, put, when he, he says in verse, eight, in verse 18, he says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now, remember who is writing this. This is the Apostle Paul. Do you think he's familiar with suffering? These words are not written by somebody who is unfamiliar with suffering, who sort of lived a charmed life free of suffering. No. Paul knew suffering. He, he says in Galatians 6.17, I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. You know what he's talking about? Scars. Scars from what? Scars from the many times that he had been beaten horribly within an inch of his life for Christ. He tells us about some of that in 2 Corinthians 11. Far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys and danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure." And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul knew suffering. And yet, he says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. You can't compare them. I mean, you know, if you went down to the beach and you took a little teaspoon and you dipped it in the Atlantic Ocean and you held it up, at least you would have a point of comparison. You know? Here's a teaspoon full of ocean and here's the ocean, right? But he says that the glory that awaits us is so incredible that you can't take the sufferings of this life and compare them with the glory that God has prepared for us. You just can't do it. You know, It's too great. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He says in 2 Corinthians 4.17, for this light momentary affliction, he's talking about the sufferings of this life, this light momentary affliction is preparing us for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. In other words, if it were possible to take all of the sufferings and pain of this life and, and put it all together, add them up and, and weigh it, you would not be able to compare that with the weight of glory that is beyond all comparison that awaits the child of God. Um, now, this ultimate glory that Paul is talking about 
includes heaven, but it's bigger than that. It's bigger than that. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says that when a Christian dies, that we are at that point absent from the body, but present with the Lord. Okay, that's heaven, and that is glorious. Okay, but our ultimate future and God's ultimate glory is not for us to be absent from the body, but to have new bodies, glorified bodies, resurrected bodies that are going to happen when Jesus comes again and his people are raised with real flesh and blood, glorified bodies to live in a renewed heaven, a renewed earth. It's all going to be brought together. And we're going to be like Christ. See, the resurrection of Christ is the prototype of our own resurrection. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. See, we're, we're not going to spend eternity floating around on the clouds playing harps, okay? That's not it. We're going to have new bodies, glorified bodies. We're going to live in a renewed heaven and earth. God's going to unite all things in Christ, and we're going to rule and reign with Christ we're going to have joyful service. We're going to have joyful responsibilities. We're going to be stewards with, over a renewed heaven and earth. And this time we're not going to mess it up. The stewards aren't going to mess it up. We're going to have joyful responsibilities. We're going to have incre- the, the fellowship, the love. I mean, just think about a world with the absence of sin. In fact, think about... Think about the highest joys that you've had in this life. I mean, just the, the sweetest things, the purest things in this life. Okay, that is like just a little tiny, tiny foretaste of what God has prepared for us. Again, Michael Horton says, if there's been love on earth, it will be deepened and purified in glory. If pleasure, it will be fuller, richer, and enduring. If friendship, these bonds will only be stronger. We will not cease learning and growing, but will never reach the peak beyond maturity when we begin to slide down the other side of the hill. Every evening, we've ever spent laughing with friends and loved ones around a sumptuous feast or warm fire will have been a mere foretaste of heavenly company it is not another world but this world that like us will be more truly itself than we've ever known it and above all we're going to feast and fellowship with our savior now this is coming (laughs) if you are a child of god this is your future you know, Jesus, this is your future. We saw last time in verses 16 and 17 that we are what? We're heirs. This is our inheritance that we're talking about. If children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is coming. 
<laughs> this is coming for all of us. We are heirs. There is an inheritance that is waiting for us very soon. Now, in light of that, how should our thinking change? Shouldn't our perspective change? Yes. should change about all kinds of things. I want to mention a couple of them. First of all, our perspective should change about trials. And then our perspective should change about things. Okay? First of all, why be disturbed by the trials of this life? Does not what you've heard today put trials in perspective? Suppose you knew that you had an incredible inheritance that was waiting for you just a few days from now. This, this fortune, you know, this, this amazing fortune, okay, was going to be yours, okay? Well, suppose your old clunker of a car breaks down, okay? Are you really going to tear your hair out about that? Are you really going to toss and turn and have sleepless nights over that old broken down car? If you know that in just a few days, <laughs> you're going you're gonna, to, the papers are going to be signed and this incredible inheritance, this fortune, this massive fortune was going to be yours? I mean, it, it puts it in perspective. But see, that's reality for us. And, and, the, and the inheritance, the fortune that we have coming is so much greater than anything that we could possibly imagine that an earthly fortune would be. Okay, this is real for us. We are heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ. And so the difficulties of this life, the trials of this life should be put in that perspective. Okay, because this life is very short. Our trials are, are not going to last. Okay, and, and, our, and the glory that we're going to experience with Jesus is going to be forever and ever. So when you think about it that way, you know, trials are put into perspective. The stuff that we worry about, my goodness, if we really believe what we've talked about today, <laughs> what are we worried about? <laughs> I mean, our future is as settled and as secure as it can possibly be. And it's glorious. There's reason to rejoice in spite of the sufferings of this life. So, why be disturbed by the trials of this life? Second, why hold on tightly to the things of this life? Why are we so attached to earthly things when we understand what our future is going to be? I mean, why are we so attached? Why do we, why do we grip so tightly to all the stuff of this life? You know, when we know that this life is very short, <laughs> and this world is not our home. I mean, wh why would we do that? You see, for the Christian, stinginess, holding on tightly to the things of this life, is not only wrong, but it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any sense. You know, we saw in verse 1 of this chapter that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay, and, that, and that, is, that is absolutely true. 
But, you know, the Bible is also very clear in 2 Corinthians 5, many other places, that there is going to be a... Our, our works are going to be judged. And the criteria for God's judgment of our works is going to be whether or not we have leveraged our time, our talents, and our treasures into that which will last. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it. The day of Christ's return, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. You know, what we do in life echoes in eternity. Are we laying up treasures in heaven? Are we, are we investing our lives and our resources in that which is going to make an eternal difference? Or are we so attached to the stuff of this life that the impact, that the lasting impact that we could make is muted? Only one life which will soon be passed. Only what's done for Jesus' sake, will last and last and last. Let's pray. Father, we we thank you for the promises of your word. We pray that the knowledge of our inheritance, our future, would change our perspective in the present. That it would put our trials in perspective. That it would would put the way that we think about uh, things in perspective. We thank you for the promises of the gospel. We thank you uh, that our future is secure in Christ. And I pray for anyone here who, who doesn't yet know Jesus as Savior and Lord, who has not yet become a child of God. I pray that you would work in their hearts to see who Jesus is, to see that he loves them so much, that he paid for the sin debt and rose from the dead to give eternal life to all who trust in him. Father, I pray for anyone here today who doesn't yet know the Savior, that they would turn to Jesus and trust him and rest in his finished work and receive the free gift of salvation that he offers. Father, for those of us who... who, who, who came into this room today already knowing Christ. We pray that the knowledge of the glory of our future would change our lives in the present. That we would be more radically sold out to you. Help us to live our lives with abandon for Christ in this one brief earthly life that we have. And we can do that with abandon because we know that we have forever with Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. If you're here today and you have any questions about Jesus, we would love to be a part of answering them. I'm going to be here at the front uh, during our time of, of invitation. 
and would love to talk with you then. We could talk after the service. Don't leave here with questions unanswered if you have them. If you're here and uh, you're interested in being a part of this church family, uh, we would love to receive you and talk with you more about that. And so as we stand and sing, we would invite you to to step out and to come. If there's a need in your life uh, for prayer or for counsel, uh, we are here for you at this time. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to Him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where His love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I can help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.